You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Oh man, those of you that are new, so glad that you're with us. We're jumping into the book of Jude. So probably don't know what that book is. And when I said Jude, you think of the song, Hey Jude by the Beatles. That's very much, like, very likely, very much more popular than the book that we're about to read today. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Go to the table of contents if you need to. Otherwise, you could go to Revelation and then just flip over one Bible closer towards the, the left, and then you'll get Jude. It's a, literally, it's a one-hit wonder, and it's really, really cool, uh, so you're going to love it. But we're in this series called One Hit Wonders. How many of you love some one-hit songs? Like, you remember any good one-hit songs? Huh? How about this one? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so we're going to play that after the service, but... Hey, I, I remember when I was in junior high, and I always got to tell junior high, high school stories because I was a youth pastor. So like, I've got hundreds of stories in my head. But I was in junior high, and I remember my, my last name is Rice, and I had this jersey. I played for the Denver Broncos, no, the little community league, and played for them, and one of my teammates pulled off the R. And so my name was Ice. And ice was really cool back then because you remember also the movie back in the 80s, Top Gun, Iceman. Oh, yeah, baby. So I was ice, and then Vanilla Ice came out. So I love that. And so everybody was like, look, dude, Iceman's on the field. And then I got pummeled, though. I've told you before, I wanted to go into high school football, and the coach was like, dude, you need another 100 pounds. You're skin and bone. I was like, I'm out, done. So I got pummeled when I was uh, in junior high, but uh, ice. So uh, this, these are some one-hit wonders, books of the Bible I bet you've never been in, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun in it. Uh, today's topic is do-it-yourself religion, and I'm going uh, to help you to understand do-it-yourself can be incredibly dangerous if you just try to do it yourself. How many of you like the DIY uh, 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 television show? You ever watch it, the do-it-yourself stuff? Yeah, and, and the rest of you watch like uh, the folks down in Waco, uh, Chip and Joe, Chip, there you go, you got it. And Waco is, uh, was wacko before they got there. And so I went down there and like there was a booming church and everybody's like, oh my gosh, are you going to go join the Koresh movement? No, 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 no. Um, but Chip and Joanne made Waco cool, but the do-it-yourself movement is big time. And uh, do-it-yourself is a dangerous thing in, in, in the church world at times too. But do-it-yourself can be dangerous when you're literally trying to do construction work yourself. Leslie and I, we've been married 18 years. And I remember when we were engaged, I had a bachelor pad. Me and my parents went in and bought this house. $40,000 house, cheap. It was a rat hole. It was a rat hole. $40,000 house, we bought it. It was pink when we bought it. Pink! I told my dad, we got to paint this thing. It's ugly. So we, we painted it. We fixed it up. I meet Leslie. She says, you got to fix this whole house up. And that's a problem. Like my dad was an awesome carpenter. He like built a sailboat for my mom when he was like 19. Like I got none of those skills. Okay. <laughs> Zero. I'm like the guy who would go to build the sailboat and accidentally burn it down while I'm doing it. I, I don't know. That happens uh, with me. So my wife, 
fiance at the time says to me, sweetie, I really want you to put in some shelves in my closet because you don't have any shelf space and I need lots of shoes to go in here. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'm terrible. I don't tell her I'm a terrible carpenter. So I go in there and I try to, I go to Home Depot, I get the shelving thing. I start drilling everything in. And when you have a power tool in your hand, don't you feel good? So I'm like going, I'm getting the big screws. I'm like, vroom, vroom, running them through. And it was a terrible, tiny little house. And literally like sheetrock would separate one room from the other. They didn't, they didn't build the space in between those things. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired. She's over another part of town. I'm feeling pretty manly. I thought I had lots of man points. I go in the other room to lay down. And I, I wake up after my nap or whatever. And I look up and I'm like, oh. I have ants or bugs or cockroaches all over my wall. I'm like, dang, I'm going to have to call the pest control or do it myself. And then I get a little closer. I'm like, those are screws. I done drilled holes all through my wall on the other side. And I think sometimes what happens is this. In the Christian life, we try to do it ourselves. We try to do it ourselves in a lot of areas of our lives that we really have no business doing. And we pick up the screw gun, we watch a show or two, and we think we can do this. And what Jude is going to do is warn against this do-it-yourself religion. And in today's time, we want to do a lot of things ourselves. I had a, a Facebook friend that said to me, in light of all the political drama, I'm so frustrated that all the Christians are associating themselves with this party. This is why I left the church and do it on my own. I, I wrote him back and I said, hey, bud, <laughs> you and I both know the church has done a lot of good in our lives. Don't give up on the church. And just because something happens like that, don't, don't blame the church. Jesus loves the church and so should we. But what we do in light of troubled times is we kind of do it ourselves. And Jude his full name is actually Judas. He's not Judas Iscariot, one of the bad disciples. He's actually, uh, he's going to write to us about the warning of doing it yourself. He's going to write about the warning of kind of the do-it-yourself religious people trying to do copy-paste what I call Christianity. Take a little here, take a little there, bind it together, stir it up yourself, and it, and it just screws up the whole church in the first century, and it has ever since then. But let me tell you about Jude. Jude identifies himself as the brother of James uh, in the very beginning of the verse that we're going to be looking at. And we're, by the way, I'm in the NIV today, and this is my first Bible that I bought with my money right here when I was 19 years old. And they sold it to me, and I'm like, how much is that? And they're like, that'll be $30. I'm like, gee whiz, what are you trying to rip people off? I just want a Bible. I guess I thought that was funny, but I guess you didn't think that was funny. <laughs> but you should buy a good Bible. So I'm preaching from my first Bible that I bought with my hard-earned money. And I definitely didn't have a, a carpentry job at the time. So, um, but Jude is the guy that we're looking at. Judas identifies himself as the brother of James. James is the, the, the church leader. Um, out of uh, that, w w that you would find in Acts chapter 15. He's an, he's an apostle. Uh, he does an incredible ministry. Um, Judas is also um, the half-brother of Jesus. And you say, but I thought that it was the book of Jude. Well, 
It is, but if you don't remember what happened with that one guy named Judas, that's kind of a bad name to have. So they changed it to Jude. So I want to read to you about Jude uh, real quick in Mark's gospel, just to kind of give you a little context about Jesus. And just so you know, Jesus had some brothers. He had some sisters, kind of a big family. So there's some folks, I think, within the Catholic Church that don't believe that Mary went on to have kids. Mythbuster, boom, we're about to see it. They had lots of kids. Uh, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus has got some brothers and sisters. And so Mark chapter 6, let me just tell you the story, uh, read to you about Jesus and this ministry and what's going on. Verse uh, chapter 6, it's not in your program or notes, but you could listen up. Jesus left and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue a teach in the synagogue, and he came to begin to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Of course they were amazed. They loved to hear from Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, but much more than a teacher. Where did this man get these things? Where did he say these things? How, what kind of wisdom has, has he been given? He can even do miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him because they didn't know who he was. So Judas is this guy who is the brother of Jesus and I half brother of Jesus. And I think that we ought to listen to what he has to say. He's writing for the purpose to help believers defend their faith, stay strong in their faith. But you know, what's interesting, originally when he was writing, he wanted to write about just salvation, about like the joy and God's grace and his mercy and salvation. But then some stuff happens and then he has to write about defending, defending yourself against these do-it-yourself religious folks and challenging the Christians like don't get caught up and messed up into the wrong uh, kind of way of thinking. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this uh, together. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. And then we're going to just work through the text. It's going to be a long one. And not everything in here is going to be fully explained. This is like an overview. If I was teaching this in in a seminary, I would probably teach it over, I don't know, three or four teachings. But we're going to do one, and I think you'll be okay with it. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So he says he's a servant. That's a good thing. Uh, Early on in in, uh, Jesus' ministry, Judas didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God, but it was after the death, burial, resurrection that he's like, oh, snap, big brother, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, dude, like, come on. Like, you should have known that. But here Judas identifies he's a servant. Of Jesus Christ. And every Christian ought to see themselves as a servant. And by the way, this will get you a lot of traction and give you a lot of peace. If you think you're a king, then you're going to be greatly offended in life. But if you just say, I'm a servant of the Lord, that's a humble position. And he's the brother of James. Why doesn't he mention his sisters? Why doesn't he mention the rest of his brothers? Well, James is kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big church leader. Acts chapter 15, go check it out. So he drops, he's name dropping. So, uh, and then he says, to those who've been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love, be yours in abundance. 
man, we need more mercy today. We need more peace today. We need more love today. And these folks need it too. And he's going to say that because there's a lot of wrongdoing that's going on. There's a lot of wrong things that are happening. And here he is, verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, road, there's a turn. Here's a left turn, right turn. Here's what happens. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all entrusted to the saints. So he wanted to write about salvation, but then he says, can't do it. I got to write about something else. Verse four, here's why. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So here's what's happening. There's folks that are changing the gospel message, the, the grace of God. And there's folks that in, in, in Christianity, it's always been this way, you tend to have folks that are on the licentious living, kind of live as you please. I do what I want, pray for forgiveness, uh, do whatever I want to do, and thank God he's a gracious, merciful God. And it's cool because he says, you guys are going to need a bunch of mercy, you're going to need a lot of peace, and you're going to need a lot of love. There's folks over here, if you live wild and say, well, I'm saved, once saved, always saved, praise God, woo, I can live like I want. That's gone down for a long time in history. Uh, Then you've got these other folks over here, they're the legalists. They're the rule keepers. They do everything right all the time, and they're self-righteous. And these would have been the folks in the New Testament and the Gospels as the Pharisees. You remember them? They're the folks that always try to do everything perfect, and they're the perfectionists today. And God's way is in the middle. It's a new way of living. It's not a licentious live as you please or live like I'm the best thing ever, you know, but it's a gospel way. Like, I know I screw up, but I got God's grace, and I'm going to try my best to do better. And so he's writing and saying, be careful. There's a lot of folks that are in the church and in, in moving into your community that are trying to change the grace of God, and they're actually denying Jesus Christ, our sovereign and Lord. And so this is what he's going to do. He's going to expose them in verses 5 through 7. Watch this. He says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you, that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these have kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains of judgment with great day on that great day. Verse 7, in the similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve, all of these folks, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So what's he doing? Well, you got to remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of folks that came out of Judaism. They, 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 uh, many of them have accepted Jesus Christ, and they're what we call Messianic Jews. Um, but they have a strong Jewish history. And so he gives three different examples of folks that kind of went their own way, rejected God, 
Despite God's powerful, God's grace, God's mercy, time and time again, they reject God. First, it's the Israelites that God had uh, uh, freed from Pharaoh's uh, bondage, and he led them out of Egypt. And then he says that that generation kind of scoffed and walked away from God, and they're going to face consequences for that. And then he talks about the, the angels in heaven that rebelled against God himself and joined Lucifer and became the fallen angels and what we know today as demons and fallen angels. And so he says, well, God's got a day reserved for that. That's called the great day of judgment. God's going to take care of that. And then he talks about those in Sodom and Gomorrah when the folks there just trying to turn their back on God and chose sensuality as their God. And he says, there's going to be consequences for that. And all three of them, he said, all, all, all three of them. The Bible consistently talks about a place of heaven and a hell. There is a reality that people have to realize. And why is he doing this? Why is Jude doing this? He's trying to say, these false teachers, if you don't deal with it, God will ultimately, but you need to deal with it. And so look what he says in this, in verse eight, in the very same way, these dreamers, these folks that are inventing their own religion pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. What are celestial beings? I think it's the people of the church. It's godly people. And then it says, but even the arch, arch, archangel Michael, when was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet, verse 10, yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand uh, by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. What is going on here? It's kind of strange. Like, I read this, I was like, I do not want to preach this. Like, I, maybe I made a big mistake to teach this. And so here's what's going on. There's, um, there's more happening in the context than you and I know about. And so everything recorded in the Bible, you have to understand, it's like uh, you're going back to the first century. So perhaps the, the readers of uh, Jude's uh, letter got it, understand what's happening here. Uh, but obviously, like, just use your mind here. What did he say? He said like the... Like the angel Michael gets into a squab dispute with the devil about Moses' body. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange. And then so they do that, but then I know what the point is here. He says that Michael wouldn't rebuke the devil. And I think there's a lesson there as Christians. I don't think we have to talk to the devil. I think what we can do is let Jesus talk to the devil. And what he says is, uh, the angel has this authority understanding and says, let the Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to mess with you. And what he's saying is the people that you're associating with uh, in the church, they have no respect for authority. And even Michael did with the devil. You get it? So like he's saying like, you guys are totally falling off the wagon. You have no respect for authority. And just by the way, Michael even showed some respect towards the devil. I respect the, the fact that there is a supernatural force in beings that are incredibly powerful as a believer, and I don't tamper around and play around with dark stuff. Uh-uh. I've been there. I've seen it. it it's twisted. 
I spent some time in Sedona, I've told you this before, and met with some of those uh, horoscope readers and those uh, soul searchers. And they're, they're, there's some wicked evil stuff, and you just better respect there's a power in the supernatural realm. And uh, let the Lord rebuke that. For us, we ought to be praying, in Jesus' name, let this be done. Jesus, we pray for your power and your uh, to push out all darkness, all that. I've heard Christians before, they start talking to the devil and stuff. I'm like, I just don't see that in Scripture. Um, there's an authority respect here he's highlighting. These folks, the do-it-yourself religion, have no respect for authority. Okay, jumping into uh, verse 11. He says, Woe to them... They have taken the way of Cain. I'll talk about that later. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. These are all historical examples that they would have understood much more. Some of you remember the story of Cain and Abel, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Balaam, maybe a little more foggy, um, rushed in for profit into Balaam's error. They have destroyed, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. I'll talk about that in a minute. And it says, verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feasts that have been big fellowship food gatherings like we have after our third service. It says, eating with you uh, without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, they're blown among the wind. And I thought about like a cloud without rain is just frustrating. I mean, in Phoenix, don't we see that all the time? You're like, yes, no, bye. And it's like, I always tell people, like, dude, don't worry, it's not going to rain. It doesn't rain here. You got lots of sunshine here. Those clouds just tease you. These people are like clouds without rain, blown among the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. He's making an illustration here, and he says, they're wild waves of the sea, foaming uh, up their shame, wandering stars, like a one-hit wonder, a shooting star. As a, a mariner, you would never follow a shooting star to your destination. You look for big stars that stay stable. These folks are like wandering stars, he says, from whom blackest darkness and has been reserved for forever. Enoch, verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, there's, there's judgment for everyone, you see? And then you and I don't have to be the judge. And he's saying, the, the, we got to use wisdom and discernment, but we, we're not the ones who determine someone's ultimate destination. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone uh, and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and all the harsh words Ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others they're, they're for, for their own advantage. And then verse 17, here's the exhortation for the church. He says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. And these are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most 
holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Verse 24, this is a benediction to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, see that, for North Valley, now and forevermore, amen, 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 amen. Isn't that good? Okay, so here's what we got. Number one, you just need to realize that Christians must contend for the faith. That's what he's writing about. Like, you're going to have to fight in your faith. You're going to need to be a tough guy, a tough gal. You need to stand up for what you believe. And let me clarify that. Like, there's very few things that you really ought to fight for. As the older I get, the realize the less I got to fight. But what I mean is like about Jesus Christ and your faith. That's what I mean. Like you, you just stand up for what you believe as a Christian, that Jesus is the Lord. You don't need to fight about end times issues. That's open-handed stuff. You don't need to be fighting about how you worship or it's this way or that way. I mean, people get all bent out of shape about that kind of stuff. And some people get, say you got to worship God and you can't wear casual clothing because back in the days they used to wear robes and, you know, and it's funny. I'm like, well, you don't obviously know church history because the reason why Martin Luther and those guys wore robes is because they wanted to look like everyday people because everybody wore robes back then. So my point is I'm wearing blue jeans because God doesn't care. So don't fight for everything. Fight for what matters most. Contend for the faith. That's his message. And here's a formula that you need to hold on to because this is so good for your soul. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You need more of Jesus. This world needs more of Jesus. We need King Jesus. Don't don't put your hope in anybody, in any system, in any party. Put your ultimate hope in Jesus. Now, sure, we need to vote our values like I've told you before. We need to be thinking critically and, and be a good citizen. And yes, but let me just tell you something. Jesus is king. And, and when, when people come knocking on your door or people come and try to tell you you got to do this or to do that for a good standing with God, they're wrong. So this has been the message from the very beginning that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need Jesus plus works. You don't need all that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's kind of the cornerstone of Christianity. So is it a grace-based faith? Oh, yeah, it is. Should you expect there to be some godly behavior out of yourself? Yeah, you should. But it's still at the base, at the base of the whole Christian faith and movement is it's all about God's grace and that we're sinners and we're saved by grace. Like the Apostle Paul said, hey, this is a trustworthy saying. Jesus came to save sinners. So remember that. You contend for the faith. And secondly, I'd say that the do-it-yourself religious people are just going to slip in among you. Do you need a little guilt in your life from time to time because you're not living accordingly? And do other people make you feel a little uneasy if they're godly and they're good? Yeah, I mean, anytime light enters into darkness, things are revealed right? Um, But, you know, when that light starts to heat up, it can really, it can get out of control at times. But 
you just have to realize that there's people, religious people that will slip in among you. This is what was happening in, in, in Jude's day, in the very first century. These were people that were perverting the gospel, perverting grace, and kind of creating it a license to do whatever they wanted. And today's time is these do-it-yourself religious folks among us, they're just going to slip in. I remember early when we first started the church, there were some folks that came into the church, and they were from cult groups. I'm not going to name all who they were, but okay, I will. They were Jehovah's Witness. And they came in, and they're trying to mess up our church and tell us that we, there's only 144,000 people that are going to heaven and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm like, dude, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. And get out of our small groups. You're teaching a false gospel. It's not the truth. And I remember like going toe-to-toe with this old man sitting at Mellow Mushroom. And my friend said to me, he's like, dude, Ryan, you're getting worked up. I'm like, I'm worked up because he's screwing everything up. And so I told him, I said, you can't, you're not welcome here anymore. And my friend was like, dude, man, this is, this is how you start the church. This is crazy. I'm like, I'm protecting this church, man. That's what a shepherd does. He has a stick. He's got to protect. It's not just to guide the sweet little sheep. It's to whack a wolf. So, good. So, I want to tell you, you know, you'll have to do some wolf whacking yourself one day. You ever gone to, you'll have to, you ever gone to uh, uh, showbiz or showbiz, Chuck E. Cheese? I don't know what they call it anymore. You whack that mole, bam, bam, bam. You better be fast. They're going to come knocking on your door and teaching you a false gospel, know God's word and say, man, get out of here. I can't host you. I can't, I can't pretend like we're friends right now. I mean, do you love them? Yeah, you can love them, but it doesn't mean you act ignorant and wholesale belief and endorse them. Because this is what they say. Well, I was just down the road. I was at that guy's house and he let me in and served me tea, served me this, and we're buddies. No, you're not. You're not buddies. He's another human being and you, you do love and care for him because he's made in the image of God, but you don't have to agree to anything he says. So anyway, they're going to slip in among you and then do it yourself, religious people. They're going to redefine Jesus in Christian ethics. This happens mainly, mainly in um, academia. Big fancy word, I know. I can say those words with blue jeans and my tuck, blue jean tuxedo. And I am from Arkansas. But I'm telling you that, you know, like, Look up some guys that just uh, redefining Jesus, uh, 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 the new Jesus, like Google these, or think about uh, the Da Vinci Code, like that whole movie that took off with Tom Hanks and all that. Like, that's all called what Gnostic Gospels. It's, there are in the Nag Hammadi Library, this ancient library that was found like in the 40s, they found these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, not those. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of so-and-so. And are they real like Gospel accounts that were recorded? Yeah, they were. But they were written like a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus Christ. So who wants to trust that? And they're coming up with all these bogus ideas that don't even make sense to historical Christianity. Like, Jesus had some girlfriends. Like, you know, Mary, they were close. They, in fact, Jesus had some babies with Mary. And uh, those kids are still alive today. There's some crazy divine children walking this earth. Like, what is that? So I'm just saying, uh, they usually redefine Jesus. Here's another one that you get in Mormonism is the idea that Jesus wasn't always divine. I said it. Yeah. That he became divine. When did he do that? 
at the baptism when the Spirit of the God came down on them like a dove. Bad idea. That didn't happen. He was eternally existed as God is what he did. Okay, so that didn't happen. What happened at the baptism? God affirmed that that was his son publicly endorsed. That's my son. So I'm just telling you, there's all sorts of things that are going to creep into your mind that you're like, okay, do I redefine Jesus? And then the Christian ethics just follow. So, I mean, um, here's a more scholastic one. Like, I think it's Bart Ehrman. You can Google him. Uh, If I'm correct and my memory serves me right, he's done more harm than any other Christian thinker in the 21st century, for sure. Um, He's trying to rebrand all of Christianity and saying, basically, anytime you see uh, uh, Jesus doing all these miracles, uh, they were uh, more fable than anything, and just kind of just seeks to redefine Jesus. It's not fully divine. So it's, it's, it's all over the place. And Judah's writing to these people that are trying to redefine Jesus. They, they, a lot of people don't believe Jesus was fully God at that time. I mean, even Jude himself struggled to believe in Jesus until he, the resurrection happened. What's the core part of your Christian faith? The resurrection. If that tomb wasn't empty, forget this. North Valley, I'm not leading this church. Who wants to lead a church where there's no living God? So do it yourself, people. They usually redefine Jesus, watch that, and Christian ethics. So three deadly detours for do-it-yourself religion. And we do this, and so I would say uh, you're not out of the boat. You're, you're in the boat in that you mess up, and this is for us too. So deadly detours for do-it-yourselfers. Um, the way of Cain. That was mentioned earlier. Uh, the way of Cain is, is that he explodes with anger, and then he just does what he wants. It's where anger goes out of control. And so then he just worships, worships God the way he wants to, not the way God told him to. And he comes to God on his terms. And I think what happens right now in our culture is that we're so fueled by anger, Cain raises up, what he does is he kills Abel out of enviness and frustration of how God's working. And, and then he tries to do it all himself and uh, ends up killing Abel. I mean, that's, these are Adam and Eve's kids. And The way of Cain is like when you and I, we get angry about something and then we just rush off and do it however we want. And my encouragement is just be aware that's a deadly detour. Like follow the Lord and realize that not all anger is wrong. I mean, there's healthy anger and unhealthy anger. And when you're angry about something and you're rightfully so, Some, someone's been violated or you've been violated and sinned against, like there's nothing wrong with being angry. It's how do you deal with your anger? And Cain is an example of unhealthy anger taking control and then he murders somebody. And I know I, we don't have a bunch of murderers in North Valley, but my guess is, is that anger gets out of control and then you just do what you want because you're angry. So be aware of that, and that's a deadly detour. If you got anger issues, you're like, oh, I don't have anger issues, but maybe you're the stuffer. You just stuff everything. My wife's a stuffer. I'm the spewer. Like, I get angry, and I'm like, Bleh! And then I'm like, I'm good. She's like, no, you're not. Go repent, and then come talk to me. So I'm like, okay, you're right. So I go, and I'm like, Lord, repentance is like a relief valve. 
You ever seen a pressure valve and you pull it and it's like, and that's a spewer. And get all that out. Get it done. And then say, fill me up, Holy Spirit. I don't want to be like that. And so, you know, anger, be careful. It's a deadly detour. And it kind of makes you try to do things on your own terms at times because you just get out of control. And when you're out of control, you just say, I'll take control. Secondly is the way of Balaam. Like, who is Balaam? What, what's this about? Um, the way of Balaam, uh, it's, uh, yeah, what is that about? I forgot. No, the way of Balaam is using God for my personal gain. I think it is. There we go. My notes are a little messed up. But it's, uh, it's the idea, you may have remembered, but Balaam is this uh, person under kind of the, kind of tricking and into serving God for his own personal gain is what he does in the scriptures. You could go back and look at it in numbers if you want to. And uh, what he does is he kind of uses God uh, to get some financial gain, and he leads a lot of other people astray in the process, and he's used as an example of what not to do. And I don't know about you, but I need a lot of times some negative examples like, ooh, that was bad. I do not want to be like that. Uh, Balaam is that person who uh, leads people into error and he's motivated by money. And so the reality is, is we've seen this in Christian circles, have we not? Where preachers uh, call or self-proclaimed prophets say, God spoke to me and said, today there's a hundred people in the room today that the Lord is raising up to give $1,000. And you're like, you should be in the room going, no, we didn't. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Um, just be aware that that could be very much abusive. And anytime as believers, if someone's using God for personal gain, be careful. Whack a wolf. Like, be careful. So what I'm saying is, is this way of Balaam is a very deadly detour. Don't go that route. So what's the third one? The third one is, is this, is that the way of Korah. Um, and if you've got a kid named Korah, I'm sorry, but I don't think you've got a kid named Balaam. That'd be interesting. Balaam, come here. Name your kid Balaam. That's come talk to me. Well, all right. So the way of Korah is this: is uh, the idea of submitting to leadership, uh, but submitting to leadership just as long as you're not personally offended. And this is a big deal in today's times. It was a big deal back then. It's like. You know, I, I hear people say, well, I was offended when so-and-so said this. My question would be, but yeah, is it true? <laughs> if it's true, then it's okay to be personally offended. Like to me, if I spend time with good godly people or listen to strong Bible teaching, I'm like, I ought to be personally offended sometimes. Like I don't fully trust myself. Like I don't think my heart is thoroughly righteous. And I don't think yours is. And the way of Korah was, Korah was one of the um, leaders that Moses had uh, asked you to, to take charge, but Korah followed Moses just as long as Moses didn't screw up and mess up, and then he leads a rebellion against Moses. And, you know, this, here Jude is warning against that, that when you follow the way of Korah, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm with, I'm with you, church, or I'm with you, Pastor Ryan, and the elder team, the staff team, just as long as you don't personally offend me. Like, get, that's wrong. Like, that's not how God's worked it. Like, he said, trust your leaders, respect your leaders, submit to them. When do you not submit to them? When they're violating scripture. 
that's when you don't submit to them. Is there ever time for a revolution or is there ever time for justifiable rebellion? Yes. When there's clearly violation of God's law, that's when you would do that. Did Moses violate God's law? No. Was Korah justified in uh, mounting up a rebellion? Uh, No, he was not. He was not justified in mounting up a rebellion. So in today's times, you submit to leaders just as long as you're not personally offended. I would say if you're a part of a really good, healthy church, you ought to be offended from time to time. I'm sure today in the second service, I have offended some people. And, uh, and I would say, you know, there's probably always room for me to grow in my, uh, you know, clarification and how I deliver something. But my hope would be is that there's justifiable scripture and truth all saturated in everything I'm saying. But, and if so, then that's okay. We can agree to disagree. But my encouragement is this, is follow your leaders, follow, follow uh, godly teaching, godly leaders the rest of your life, whether you're here at North Valley or you're listening in online and then joining a church, just expect there to be some, some offense from time to time. So uh, here's how to respond to those uh, that are led astray. Many of you uh, perhaps have friends that are just kind of taking a detour They're just saying, I'm done with the church. I want to do my own things, or I'm following a new way. How do you respond to them? I'd say three things. To those who doubt, just be merciful. So while I said whack a wolf, yeah, but at the same time, if people are just genuinely doubting and struggling in their faith and understanding what's going on, you don't go whack a wolf because you've probably mistaken them. They're not a wolf. They're just a sheep that's confused. So you, what do you do? You be merciful. That's what Jude said in closing out in verses 22 and 23. He says, to those who doubt, basically, you just be merciful. You and me need to be merciful people in a time like this. And there's all sorts of controversy and all sorts of conspiracy and there's all sorts of frustration and political agitation and all this stuff going on. My encouragement is to you with your family, with your friends, um, and for those that perhaps are going their own version of Christianity right now is be merciful to these people. Like I told you last week, like you ought to be characterized by love, number one. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say the world would know you're my disciples by the way you are truthful to one another. He said, no, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So to those who are led astray, be merciful. Maybe you got a wayward uh, friend or wayward family member they're kind of been led astray, going off the deep end, be merciful. Be merciful. And the Bible says God's mercy is new every single day. That's a good thing. And that we can rejoice in that, that he's got a new mercy, immeasurable mercy. You know, I think of the reservoirs that we have up in uh, the north part of the state and how they provide water. And we got a lot of aquifers too. And, you know, there's a lot of questions at times in Arizona, will we have enough water? And God's water, uh, water brings life, right? I mean, there would be no phoenix without water. There'd be no phoenix without the canals. But what we do need to know is that God's mercy never runs dry. It's always available. So be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, secondly, to those who are trapped in sin, you help them. Jude says, uh, snatch them out of the fire. Like you, you got you to gotta help people, not hurt people. 
You're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. Do you need to use discernment and wisdom? You do. But you want to be known for a helper, not someone who hurts people. Um, I have this phrase, and I've used it a lot at the church. I say, uh, you know, hey, we need to be builders. We, we need to build people up, not break people down. And if I say something that's a little uh, rough at the house to my kids or something, my nine-year-old daughter will say, Daddy, we're builders. We're not breakers. I'm like, boom, you got me, girl. You got me. We are builders. Um, so we got to help people, not hurt them. And then it says, the last, last point here is to those in rebellion, why don't you mix mercy with fear? And what does that mean, mix mercy with fear? It means that you got to keep mercy to those that are rebellious. They're going their own way, running their own way, doing their own thing. But be afraid in the sense that you don't get trapped up and caught up with them. When, when I was a rebellious uh, young man uh, running from God, I, I did not like the police. I did not like the church. I definitely did not like Jesus because I just thought he stood for everything that I was for and against everything I was for, and uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was in deep rebellion, and I had friends that were reaching out to me, and I remember them saying, youth pastor told me to be careful hanging out with you. And I said, why is that? And they said, I don't know, I guess because you kind of have an army of bad people with you. My dad used to say, this is my son, he, he, he uh, uh, ran with the devil, but now he walks with the Lord. And uh, People that are in rebellion have a way of kind of bringing more people along with them. And if you quickly rush into that, you're going to be sucked down that, those behaviors, those attitudes, those actions yourself. And so you and I need to be light of the world, and we're told to do that. We're told to be merciful. And so I want to challenge you to do that. In 2021, let's live with a great level of mercy, but be very wise at the same time. And all this do-it-yourself new branding of Christianity, just reject it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would take it seriously. And, and Lord, that it would liven up our spirit. And Lord, that we'd just live for you because the Christian life is the best life. And so, Father, we pray for the relationships of friends and family members of folks that may be in rebellion. Or maybe were in rebellion. And maybe we just need to remember your great mercy. Thank you for that displayed in the cross. And thank you that we have forgiveness. Thank you that Christianity is a great historical reality of how everything is formed and fashioned together. We pray for your blessing and your mercy over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.